We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> you talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to a live Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing today? Nick's always starting premature, guys. <laughs> no, that's not the case. So, you know, Jack just wasn't ready. No. <laughs> he wasn't ready for it. But no, uh, back to Nets talk, what we're focusing here on the Brooklyn Buzz. Uh, obviously, there's storylines every single week. Kenny just had a great interview. You know, some little details came out about the Kevin Durant sign and trade and the contracts of Kyrie and KD. Before we get into it, though, quick reminder, check us out. iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio, YouTube. Like I mentioned, Spotify coming soon. And then also be oh, yeah. sure to subscribe on YouTube. Also leave those reviews on iTunes. Five stars are much appreciated. But uh, let's get into this, Jack. Yeah, let's start off with the KD and Kyrie Irving contracts, Nick, because these these are interesting. Um, there seems to be some discernible differences. In, in terms of, we, we've touched on the sort of salary cap sort of uh, wizardry that sort of had to be done to sort of, you know, sort of get the money for DeAndre, sign Nicholas Claxton and all the rest. Um, but we'll go through it. So I think Kevin Durant seems the most... You know, the, the simplest, you know, he gets a, a million dollars in, in yearly performance-based incentives to get the, the full max. So there are four of the incentives that make that list. So one, Brooklyn makes the playoffs. Two, the Nets win 43 or more games. Three, he plays at least 50 regular season games. And four, he makes the all-star team. Uh, how likely are those things to happen, Nick? Are you surprised about the, the sort of finagling from uh, the front office? Uh, his seemed really easy compared to Kyrie's. Obviously, we'll get the Kyrie's, but uh, obviously he's not uh, get them this year. Unless, like, he, does he only have to get one of the four? Or does he have to get all four? I believe it. Um, he will get a mullet if if any of them are met. Yes, yeah, so he's guaranteed to get yeah. his max because the Nets are going to make the playoffs every year. He's under contract, so boom, there he gets his max. He gets his mill. Um, whereas Kyrie Irving's are split up a, a little bit differently, so he has eight individual ones at 125 grand each, um, and they're as follows. I guess we'll go through them, and then you tell me how likely you think it is to happen. Okay. Um, he, he plays in at least 70 regular season games. Mm, I'd give that like a 50% chance. Like, I think he probably exactly. wants to play more games, but I think that the Nets will rest him a couple games regardless. So it's going to be up to him to pretty much not get hurt at all. He's done that uh, apparently five times already in his career. Um, so take that of what you will. He plays at least 60 regular season games and averages under 2.4 turnovers. That's pretty tough. Uh, I'm going to give that like 33% chance. He's only done that once. Uh, and he did that, I believe, last year. His career, I think his career average is around 2.5, 2.6. Uh, he plays at least 60 regular season games and averages at least 4.6 free throw attempts. Mm, what's his career average of free throws? It's probably like around four, right? 
He's done. He's he's done that three times across his career. He had, he had, he had three point seven last season and averages four point four for his career. Um, mm, give me give me thirty three percent on that one as well. Like I think it's a possibility, okay. but it's still like that's a pretty solid jump. I mean, if that was the number for DeAndre Russell, then <laughs> boy, oh boy, you'd almost rule it out. You have to rule it out. Uh, Kyrie Irving has to shoot uh, 88.5% from the free throw line in the regular season. Uh, give me, I feel like that's like very likely. I know he's like, he might not have shot in that before, but I think it's not incredibly difficult to get your free throw percentage up if he's already a good free throw shooter. Give me 60%. He's done it three times across his career and he's averaged 87.3% last season. And for his career, he averages 1% less, 87.5. The next one, he averages at least 2.83 in the regular season. Give me uh, like 75% on that one because I think the Nets are going to encourage him to shoot more threes. Yeah, I think that this one seems relatively likely. Um, But he has only done it once and he's averaged uh, 2.1 his career. Did average 2.6 last season for Boston. So I think that's more of a, a higher indicator uh, of, of things to happen. I think he's going to be given you know, a bit more of a free reign. And he's a, an incredibly capable three-point shooter, probably. Um, where would you rank him? You know, I'll give you mine. Where, do, where would you rank him as like point guard, three-point shooters? Yeah, I think we kind of mentioned on the last outlet, he'd probably be top five, you know, probably like three or four. And I think also, just to throw in another fact, this year I think we'll have more shots created for him than he has in the past. Like last year on Boston, there's not really a ton of playmakers where if he plays where Spencer and Karras, you know, there's a better chance that someone might set him up for an open three. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's a lot more likely. I think that's a, a pretty likely one, despite the fact uh, that he has only done that once in his career. He averages 2.1. Uh, he, he averages under 2.1 fouls in the regular season. Um, that one seems like really hard to average under 2.1 fouls. Uh, weird one as well. <laughs> give me like 10% on that. Uh, I think the Nets want them to be better defensively, and I think sometimes being better defensively means you're more aggressive, so more likely to get fouls. Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting one. I think with Karras, if he's obviously probably likely to be playing with Karras Levert a lot, you know, you might be able to hide Kyrie a little bit defensively, so I think it could be somewhat likely. For the record, he has done that three times in his career. Um, he averages 2.2 fouls per game uh, and averaged 2.5 the last season for the Celts. Now, these last two uh, relate more to the team specifically. So the Nets score 114 points per 100 regular season possessions with Kyrie on the floor. Uh, give me that one at like 60 or 70% because... We kind of talked about on the previous buzzes. I think there's going to be more of this emphasis on transition offense, especially with a lot of the young wings. You know, you have Rodion's out there, Torian Prince, Karis LeVert, guys that are athletes and get out and run. And I think that'll push the pace and push up the offense. Yeah, I mean, it's a, a pretty decent number, 114 points to 100 possessions. Uh, for the record, according to Basketball Reference, he's done that four times. Uh, mm-hmm. NBA.com only lists it once. But, yeah, I think you, you have an elite offensive team. <clears throat> God bless Excuse you. Me. First time I ever had to give you a God bless you on a buzz. Oh, that actually happened. There's, there's <laughs> beach buzzing around me. I'm, I'm getting some allergies. Uh, the net, yes. Yeah, so that that one I think is a little more likely because you know you have an elite offensive team when you have an elite offensive player. So I think you add Kyrie Irving. You know I would love that number um, honestly. So and the final one, the eighth one, Brooklyn allows 106 points or fewer per 100 possessions on the defensive end with Irving on the floor? Mm, I give that one like 33% because I think if we're saying the 114 offensive is probable, the Nets are more likely to allow like something like 108 or 109 if, you know, for the opposing team. I mean, if you literally have 114 offensive rating, 106 defensive rating, and you have a net rating of eight, you're that's, really good. <laughs> that's elite. That's like near, near Milwaukee Bucks regular season. Yeah. Good. So, um, he deserves that money. He deserves probably a little bit more than 125 grand for that. Um, individually, uh, according to basketball reference at NBA.com, um, he's had two defensive ratings of 106 or lower, according to basketball reference, and three times individually has he had 106, uh, 106 defensive ratings. So, I mean, taking all these into account, it seems like Kyrie will probably get about 500 grand or so. Do you think about yeah. half of it, Nick? Yeah, I think about half, like probably 
I mean, you could argue maybe five to six. Two of them he definitely won't get, but there's a good chance he could get a lot of them. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we move on to the next topic, uh, our boy, Adrian Dyson. Joe Harris or Torian Prince, who is starting at shooting guard? Um, that's really interesting. I mean, Torian Prince, if he starts, won't be at shooting guard. It'll be at small forward. And I think this has kind of been what we've been flip-flopping in terms of starting lineup. Like, the names that we have locked in are Kyrie Irving and Karis Levert. And then, you know, one of the centers, obviously, is going to start being DeAndre or Jared Allen. Then it gets interesting at, like, three and four. Do you start Joe Harris? Do you start Torian Prince? Does Rodion start to the four? Do you go with, like, a Harris and Prince? Or do you go Prince and Rodion's? Like, there's a lot of different combos there. It's kind of early to decide. I'm kind of leaning towards um, Prince in that situation because I like the idea of having like nice versatility defensively and then the real pop with the transition offense. And we know Joe can come off the bench and bring a really good surge. Like imagine just hypothetically if DeAndre starts, you bring Spencer, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen off the bench. That's some good players. Oh, man. That's like some Los Angeles Clippers sort of-ish bringing like, you know, Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, and, you know, all there, and, you know, Jermichael Green off the bench. Um, I think uh, our bench remains a, a real strength. I think Toyin Prince fits more schematically um, yeah. because he's a more valuable sort of guy in terms of what he can bring as a defender. We know Joe Harris consistently brings effort on that end of the floor. Um, but I think that, you know, because we now have, this sort of malleability to play guys in different positions. You know, Torian Prince might even play a little bit of time at the four. Um, mm-hmm. He's certainly got the the sort of physical attributes to do so. Um, oh, I think Prince is a more likely starter, but we could easily see them both start uh, in uh, in different sort of iterations because we know it wasn't necessarily wholly consistent last season with injuries and restings. Um, Joe Harris was a consistent starter, um, so he has built that sort of rapport with the organization and with Coach Kenny. Torian Prince is going to have to earn it a little bit, but he has spent his time in Long Island. Um, I think Torian Prince is a more likely starter. Funnily enough, playing 2K for the first time in quite a while last night, we had my mate's house, he downloaded the rosters. Torian Prince is a nice guy to play with, so I'll put that out there. <laughs> yeah, I got to check out the Nets roster. Obviously, that updated download is pretty cool where you can you know play with a new team. And I think with Prince, it makes like, you actually have a, a pretty good defensive lineup. Like you said, Joe Harris isn't a terrible defender or anything like that. He puts effort in, but there is some potential for Prince, especially athletically, good wingspan, decent size at that three spot. Then you have Rodion's. It just seems like there there could be a lot of switching and versatility now in the defense that we haven't seen in the past. Definitely. Uh, speaking of good power forwards, uh, Kevin Durant. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I would say he's good. <laughs> yeah, but certainly uh, a very capable uh, power forward in his own right. Now. This news was making a little bit of waves, Nick, and uh, we haven't chatted about it yet. So what were your thoughts on the fact that Kevin Durant refused to be traded straight up for DeAndre Russell and was demanding that first rounder from Golden State in their front office? I kind of think it's awesome in a way. Like, it's just so crazy. Like, he's that powerful of a player. He's like, nah, I'm not getting straight up trade for D'Lo. You guys need to make this sweetener for the Nets and my new team. Give them a pick, and then I'll be happy. think some it's a little bit of ego. But then, hey, he leveraged his power, knowing that Golden State was screwed if they didn't do this trade. And the Nets could still sign KD, and they could probably work some other things otherwhere for the other contracts. He got the Nets a pick. There's no guarantee they're going to get that first-round pick because, like we talked about, it's top 20 protected. But, hey, I appreciate it. Yeah, and this is uh, via Brian Windhorst who reported it initially. Durant initially bought to being traded for Russell straight up, multiple sources said. He didn't think it was a fair deal. And in the case where he's had to not just satisfy the Nets, but also Durant, leverage was applied by the player and Golden State had to include that first round pick before Durant would sign off. Now, we talked about this uh, initially when the Cam Durant signing was sort of happening and when there were a lot of sign and trade possibilities, which, you know, happened in this offseason, uh, were reported. We're like, why does it make sense for the for the Nets to just trade D'Angelo Russell to uh, Golden State Warriors other than if they would get value in return? Because we're getting a better player. We're the ones that are giving you, you know, a guy. We're doing you the, the service. Now, obviously, you know, it needs to... Um, it's a very... Uh, it's 1 to 20 protected. So if that doesn't happen, you know, it turns into a, a second round in 2026. So it's... We're hoping, like we've chatted before, that the Golden State Warriors are, are a pretty good team next season and, you know, Clay gets back healthy. But from the Kevin Durant side, you know, this kind of makes me love him. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you sort of said it, Nick. You know, he's just like, really? Like, D'Angelo Russell? You think it's just me and D'Angelo Russell? We're not doing that straight up trade. No, no, no. That ain't happening. Three plus five. Three plus, three plus five, baby. All right? We, we know what it equals. We're equal seven. Seven, 11. <laughs> um, and in that sort of sense, 
you know, you, you respect the fact that Kevin Durant wants to get something back for his new organization uh, as well. So he's, he's becoming uh, a Brooklyn net through and through. He's like, you know, this isn't fair. You know, I don't want this to happen. I, I want to get more value for my team in return. And obviously, if it, it ends up in a 2026 second-round pick, it probably means nothing. Who knows how where Golden State and where the Nets will be, you know, in seven years' time. But if it ends up being a, a decent pick next year, you know, the class is said to be okay. I'm not 100% sure of that. I'll have to chat to guys like D, the two D monies and, and Matt Esposito on it. But this just uh, – it endears Kevin Durant even more to the fans of, of Brooklyn and certainly keeps up the, the sort of – uh, strong-willed persona uh, around the NBA circles as well. Yeah, I agree. You're pretty much spot on. I think it, it does say that he's kind of buying to the Nets a little bit more than maybe some people anticipated so fast. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's a, a really sort of positive thing. But um, we'll talk a little bit about Durant's health again. It's going to be a, a pretty consistent topic until we see uh, him back on the court. And uh, this sort of started initially through uh, First Things First where Chris Carter appeared. And he was saying... The people that I'm talking to say that in six and a half months, Kevin Durant will be ready to play at full capacity. The people I trust who work with the best athletes in the world, that's what they've told me KD will be ready. Before I get to Jared Dudley's response to that, Nick, what were your thoughts on Chris Carter's comments that he made on Fox Sports? Like Chris Carter low-key has some good NBA connects. So I think you you take what he says with a grain of salt because he is on that show. That's just a whole bunch of speculation and wild talk. But We've seen guys, what was it, Wes Matthews, I believe, came back from six and a half months. Yep. Now, other guys, like the recent injuries, other than DeMarcus Cousins, who is a huge human, took a long time. Most guys come back around seven months. So I don't think it's crazy because we talked about it before, too. KD is a basketball junkie. He's going to be obsessed. Uh, Kenny talked about in his interview on the radio that he's one. Of, it's known that he's one of the hardest workers in the NBA. So would not surprise me if he just destroyed his rehab. Yeah, and I mean, t- timelines aren't necessarily a thing that the, the Nets sort of training staff and, and medical mm-hmm. staff buy into. Um, but six and a half months is, you know, you, you wouldn't put it past him, you know, in that sort of sense. You know, we look at him as an athlete and, and the durability he has had. Probably one of, you know, you look at the sort of star players in the NBA outside of LeBron James, you'd probably say Kevin Durant is one of the most durable, healthy stars we've had in the league. You know, you look at all the other sort of superstars, there's all this sort of back-end injury history with them, including Kyrie Irving, you know, Joel Embiid. Uh, probably the the one that doesn't stick out is probably Nikola Jokic, but he obviously hasn't had his time in the league yet. Paul George, these sort of guys that have spent, you know, eight-plus seasons in the league, Kawhi Leonard, have had some sort of injury histories, have, have had some sort of large injury, be it a broken leg, be it a quad injury. Uh, and the fact that this is Kevin Durant's first one, uh, obviously there was the car. He did have the he had the broken foot too. My bad, he did have that as well. But um, it, it it speaks to him that he's been so durable over this stage. And like you said, you wouldn't put it past a guy like Kevin Durant. Um, and he's going to be certainly engaged, like you sort of chat uh, said about on the the podcast that Kenny was on. We'll get to that a little bit more. I did a bit of a thread on it. Um, but Joe Dudley was responsible. It was pretty interesting. And, and it's still good to see Joe Dudley still repping the, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, Brooklyn medical staff, he actually said medial staff. <laughs> no, I was waiting for you to make the joke because I was got this, You've got the C, my dude. Come on, duds. You, you can't – I before E except after C. Uh, Brooklyn medial staff doesn't give timetables. Uh, about is more cautious than any other team. They will not let him step on the court until he's 110%. Would be shocked to see him on the court playing before March. We gave our thoughts, Nick. I guess we'll reiterate. Um, has anything changed? When do you think it'll happen? Uh, what do you think about Duds' comments? Yeah, I think Dudley's correct. That didn't come from the Nets performance team. It probably came from someone Chris Carter knows in terms of uh, other you know, trainers around the league or medical teams and just giving their opinion. I think there's a possibility he could be ready in six and a half months or seven months but it wouldn't mean that he's going to be on the court right away. KD wants to come on the court and probably be at a very high level. So I think March is still the most realistic date. Yeah, I think, you know, if anything, I'm on the conservative side of things that if we see him at all, uh, I don't think it's likely to happen. Uh, I think we both gave around an, an 80 to 90% sort of chance that we don't see him. Um, if March is a sort of uh, a positive thing, then yeah, cool. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think Kevin Durant is going to want to be 110% healthier after his previous experiences uh, with Golden State. You know, the medical stuff, as Joe Dudley said, I remember specifically how frustrated we were uh, about Alan Crabb and we were chatting about it in person and, you know, at the Atlanta Hawks game and the Pelicans game where it's like, 
what has actually happened to Alan Crabb? They haven't actually told us. They just said like a knee sort of contusion or something. And then there was just no information until like suddenly it's just like, oh yeah, he'll be back next game. Um, I think that from that sort of perspective, we chatted about it a little bit, but the Nets staff in general is going to have to be a little bit more forthright in the information they give to the media because you know people might not care about Alan Crabb and when he gets back, but people care deeply about a guy like Kevin Durant, not just Brooklyn Nets fans, but NBA fans in general, the media or like uh, are invested into uh, Kevin Durant in ways more than one. So um, we've sort of seen a, a little bit of a change of tack from that in terms of Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson with the likes of this podcast and what they've sort of been talking about with the media, I think. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, a way they can kind of attack that where and still not give out timelines is just give up updates. Like KD is now running or KD is now shooting or something along yeah. those lines where yeah. they don't have to give out the detail because I like the aspect of not putting pressure on the players and saying, hey, we expect you to be back in four weeks. Now they're they're feeling some type of stress. You know, you remove that, things go a little bit easier and they might get ahead of schedule. Yeah, exactly. Um but we'll wait and see. We'll obviously be watching that very closely uh, on the buzz. So it'll obviously, and, and Will Jackson just jumped in six and a half months, apparently from the uh, original injury uh, is January. Uh, don't necessarily see uh, a January return happening, but who knows? Chris Carter could be on the money. Uh, yeah, he, I think his sources related to Kawhi Leonard were, were pretty were pretty good. Isn't that the, the, the sort of talk? Yeah, he, he's yeah. trained with Kawhi Leonard in the summer. Like, they've had some connection like that. So he's one guy with the Kawhi stuff that you actually could believe. And then, like I mentioned, even if KD was back in hypothetically, like, the middle of January, I still would expect him to be, like, training and getting back to his 110% level for a couple weeks. My bad. Six and a half months from now is January. So December apparently would be the six and a half months uh, from when he did the oh. injury. Uh, so Will's, uh, Will's keeping me on my toes and, and good man. He deserve, I, I deserve that. But um, we'll, we'll, we'll change that a little bit, Nick, because uh, Adrian uh, Dyson's jumped in the chat again. Uh, you've been doing some uh, great video stuff from uh, Summer League. I've kept a little bit of an eye on it. Uh, what are your thoughts on Nicholas Claxton again? He's been getting plenty of praise. Uh, from the likes of Coach Kenny and, and Sean Marks and the like. He looks good in the summer league so far, says Adrian. Yeah, I mean, he really does. I mean, obviously, there's some things he needs to work on in terms of you know, some basketball IQ stuff. Really, a lot of it is size. But I think you love the confidence, the ball handling ability, you know, creating contact, understanding what he needs to do. And you mentioned, you know, Kenny was really high on him and said he had a little bit of Chris Bosh in him. Yeah, I mean... That is, uh, I, I remember him sort of saying that. It was just like, I don't want to put any pressure on him, but I'm going to compare <laughs> him to one of the greatest stretch four fives in maybe the history of the game and sort of revolutionize the position in that uh, sort of respect. But you look at a Chris Bosch as well. Chris Bosch was never a, a sort of beefy and sort of, uh, sort of chunky, sort of strong guy. Obviously, he had you know, great strength, but he also had, you know, he was fit, he was long. Uh, and I see some skills in him because... Chris Bosch is one of the, the most versatile, you know, big men that we've ever seen. So to have such lofty uh, comparisons, you know, at such an early stage and to hear the excitement in Coach Kenny's voice uh, on on the podcast as well, you could tell that, you know, he's, he just can't wait to get into the war room yeah. with a guy like Nicholas Claxton. What, what has surprised you, Nick, about him? What have you sort of seen that, you know, thinks that this comparison is on the money. Uh, what have you liked about him? Give me some more thoughts about him because he seems to me uh, to be the talk of summer league for the Brooklyn Nets. He seems to be a little bit more aggressive on the boards than I think we anticipated. He's attacked a little bit more on there. I think I like his ability to kind of like willing to create contact. And then just a couple thoughts on the Bosch comparison, like you said, is one thing that Bosch did extremely well, he had good lower body strength, but his ability to guard multiple uh, positions. You saw the Nets at Summer League at one point. This was for a short segment of the game. They ran out of 1-2-2 zone, and they had Nick Claxton at the top. So they were like, okay, we're going to put Nick Claxton at the top, let him guard guards a little bit. So there's some good length. There's obviously great athleticism. And I just love the ability for such a big guy to be comfortable handling the ball. You know, you see a lot of bigs have the ball in their hands. And they just look uncomfortable. They look like they want to pass that thing right away. Like even a guy like Jared Allen, he doesn't really like to take that many dribbles. Claxton will take it out the perimeter, drive to the lane. And that's something that can really help. One of his most impressive plays was probably faking the dribble handoff and then driving to the paint. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of stuff you see from guys like, you know, Ben Simmons and Giannis Antetokounmpo. You know, guys who are sort of the, the size of Nicholas Claxton, but are just absolute physical and athletic anomalies in the way that they play this game. Um, so it, it's incredibly exciting. And I think a lot of the skills that you're talking about 
you know, mean that, you know, our, our season preview projections are going to be very interesting in terms of what sort of amount of time could we see him playing? Is he just going to be a backup five? Is he going to be playing some time at the four? Um, because, you know, I think that that four position is still an area where there is some weakness. You know, you look at Rodion's course, Troy and Prince can play up a little bit. You know, Wilson Chandler at times. Uh, Nicholas Claxton, I think the fact that he has this versatility about him and what he has shown at Summer League so far in such a short amount of time, uh, it, it's really positive. And like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it again. We really got to steal with him at Summer League. Yeah, and it seemed like, you know, the way Kenny and Sean have talked about him, it was a guy that they really wanted and they were so happy to get him in the second round. And it seems like he's going to be a real steal. And then like going through old draft boards of, you know, NBA draft media guys, he was a top 20 pick for most guys' eyes. So it's such a, it's such a nice thing that he just ended up dropping the 31 for the Nets. Yeah, I mean, we've seen... You know, Jackson Hayes have one of the, the greatest dunks in summer league history um, and, and and what the Pelicans are doing with their sort of summer league roster. Uh, but Nicholas Claxton's been probably a real bright spot for us. And, you know, there's, a, I think, a lot of talent in this in this draft that we've probably, you know, overlooked. And especially our guys that are at OCG Basketball certainly haven't uh, overlooked them. And, you know, Dalton gave us a really thorough, in-depth sort of breakdown of Nicholas Claxton when we were chatting with him on the, on the draft pod. Uh, I've done a little bit of a video breakdown where I've seen a lot of the skills that he had in college already being replicated uh, at um, at the Summer League. You know, he's sort of at length uh, defensively, you know, his ability to handle the ball, like all the things that you mentioned, Nick. But we've got a couple more questions in the chat before we get to some other topics. Uh, Arthur, should Spencer and Kyrie play on the floor at the same time? Yeah, I think they definitely will. Uh, I think all the guards are going to see minutes together. You know, you'll see some Spencer and Karras. You'll see some Spencer and Kyrie. You know, last year we saw the different combinations. So why not? And we know they already have a relationship developing. And in that sort of sense, you know, I think, do you think it'll be, maybe this is a really easy sort of question, uh, but I I think it sort of leads to just a a bit more analysis from it uh, overall. Do you think that it'll be a more fruitful pairing on the court than we saw from Spencer and DeAnza Russell? Yeah, I do. I think there's a better understanding of each other. You know, there's a better relationship, which we'll get to later. And I think just Kyrie understands how to play off ball a little bit better than D'Angelo. And Spencer probably learned a little bit more last season about playing off ball. And he has an understanding of, hey, this is what Kyrie's trying to do. This is what I'm trying to do. And I think something both guys probably do a little bit better than D'Angelo is attack a lot quicker. You know, D'Angelo's you know, in terms of attacking the rim, he probably needs a pick or he's going to kind of dance a little bit and then finally get past his guy. Yeah, I think that as well, you look at Spencer Dimity, I think that he's going to be working on a, a lot of stuff in the offseason that I think can help him defensively. If he can remain, uh, take a step forward as a defender, you know, he'll see plenty of time on the floor with Kyrie Irving. And that allows, I think as well, you to play a Carol Subvert at the three. And you have that... Yeah. That sort of trio, I think that, you know, we, we saw, it was a thing that we talked about pretty consistently on the buzz because they're our three best players um, and, and sort of the, the, how it was sort of working, how it wasn't working. Um, there was plenty of ups and downs throughout the season. Obviously, you know, you look at the preseason games that are coming up and, you know, when we head to Shanghai and obviously versus Toronto at Barclays as well, you know, the early points of the season. Um, I, I think there will be some growing pains of sorts. You know, Kyrie Irving, um, at the same time, I think, you know, I, I think he's going to be, he wants to be where he is. You know, I think he's the, the best sort of relationship you have with guys on the court is where you want to be there. You know, we saw with Russell Westbrook, he wanted to be uh, in Houston. And while I was incredibly skeptical on the outlet, the fact that he wants to be there means he, he's going to have to change. And I think he wants to change. So um, these guys are going to want to succeed together. You know, Torian Prince is already speaking about championships even without Kevin Durant. Um, but I think that there'll be, you know, with those two on the floor, it could be, you know, th- those two-man lineups could be pr- as productive as any other two-man lineups that the Nets have next season. And offensively, there's an argument that the combo of Spencer and Karras are probably the two best offensive guards Kyrie's ever played with. Like, if you really think about it, because in Cleveland, there never was really anybody amazing. They had Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith. Last year, you know, he had Marcus Smart, but Smart's more of a defensive-minded player, more of a hustle guy. Jalen Brown is kind of a guard, but he doesn't have the playmaking skill set that Spencer and Karras have. Yeah, I think I think Jalen Brown's more of a wing, and uh, that's yeah. and probably similar, like a bigger version of Karras. Um, but you know, has to, without um, the passing, 
and uh, without the passing, but I think he's a better defender. Uh, and I yeah. think can guard like bigger guys like LeBron James and, and those sort of guys. But um, there's a couple of things I need to get to. Firstly, uh, there's a compliment for you from insert call name. I appreciate the Spider-Man posters and pop vinyls in the background. So nice work to you, Nick Faye. Appreciate it. Uh, and I got a Rick and Morty shirt that uh, interests you as well. <laughs> pop culture king. And uh, plenty of pop culture stuff going to be coming in the office if uh, OTG basketball. Don't worry about that one, including Spider-Man stuff. Uh, Crimson Striker, more on the sort of contract stuff, Nick. Um, should we be worried about KD and Kyrie's opt-out? Scenario one being that they leave. Scenario two, and my more likely fear, they demand a Supermax contract to stick around. Obviously, we're forecasting incredibly uh, long into the future, but um, what were your thoughts on the fact that there's, you know, opt-outs and player options, three plus ones? Uh, what did you think in general? I think that's like literally the most common thing for superstar players to get. So it wasn't that surprising, especially for KD. And I think if the Nets were to win a championship or go to two finals or something along those lines, they might be okay overpaying these guys. I don't think you necessarily want a super max Kyrie, but I think you maybe would be okay super maxing KD if it turns out he's returning from the injury fine. And, you know, you and I have both talked about, we think he's going to age very gracefully with his skill set. So it is what it is. I mean, we see how the NBA is. Contracts really don't mean anything. So if these guys aren't happy, they could end up demanding a trade two or three years in. So I think you just yeah. take it how it is. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a year-by-year proposition. Um, you know, you, you just look at everything that sort of happened in such a short span of time. With this organization, you know, three years ago, we were in, in the doldrums and and barely a recognizable sort of product. The Brooklyn Buzz wasn't even a thing. I wasn't right afraid to be basketball. You know, it was a dark, dark time, my friend. Um, <laughs> Three years in the future, the Nets could have a championship. The Nets, things could blow up. You know, uh, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant could um, have combustible issues as, as a relationship and on and off the court. We don't know. Uh, and I think it's so hard to forecast that far into the to the future for, for Crimson Striker that uh, I, I can't make an, an informed sort of judgment until I see what Kyrie is like on the court with DeAndre Jordan, what Kyrie is like on the court with Kevin Durant, what Kevin Durant is like behind the scenes. Uh, as a sort of faux assistant coach, as Kenny called him on the podcast. There's so yeah. many different things. And, you know, it, it's it's natural to be hesitant and uh, as a fan and, and, and so invested in the organization. But, you know, I think that uh, as life lessons, and um, I was watching, funnily enough, uh, this is something that I, 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 I keep with me in general, but, you know, Aziz Ansari uh, on his new stand-up special iterated as well. You try to just remain present in, in, in what's going on and, you know, sort of just enjoy the ride for what it is because that's certainly what we did last season. You know, it was a, a really bumpy roller coaster of a journey of the 2018-19 season, but I thoroughly enjoyed every moment. And I reflect upon that season uh, as a Nets fan and, and as a Buzz uh, co-host, as as one of the, the, the more fun seasons ever as a as an NBA fan and uh, one of the more fun seasons just to analyze as a whole for any sort of team. So looking forward that far ahead, I, I think it's incredibly difficult. But at the same time, I get the skepticism because we want what's best for this organization. Yeah, and I think, like you said, you just got to see how it goes out. We haven't seen these guys in the court. It's not like they're re-signed with the Nets. It's something just moving forward. And we'll take it with a grain of salt. And who knows? Like, the young guys could really develop nicely where, hey, maybe they understand, you know, Kyrie and KD when their contracts run up. They don't want the Supermax. They're just happy with X amount of money. And then you're paying bigger money to some of the young guys who turned into stars. Yeah, that's a very fair call. Um, Will's jumped in again. Uh, any thoughts on the D-Lo unfollowing Spencer on IG? Yeah, I think that was something we were going to get to. Um, I get it. Like, I get why D'Angelo's upset. You know, he thought maybe Spencer was his boy, and he's out there recruiting Kyrie, knowing that if Kyrie came, that probably meant D'Angelo was leaving. But I think at the end of the day, D'Angelo probably understands that Kyrie's a better player than him. Maybe D'Angelo thinks he can get to that level, but he's not there yet. And if you're getting Kyrie and Kevin Durant, like no offense to D'Angelo Russell, you could even say this about like, let's say Damian Lillard was a Nets point guard and they meant they had to get rid of Dame so they could get Kyrie and KD, they would do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think that it it shows that behind the scenes that, you know, maybe these guys aren't as close as, you know, it's sort of portrayed about the sort of chemistry within, you know, the organization. I think that they're different sort of personalities. You know, we rarely sort of saw, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie sort of, um, you know, in sort of pictures with DeAndre Russell in sort of Instagram stories and that sort of like, you know, he was sort of keeping close with Jared Allen, you know, Carol Savert, you know, DeAndre Russell has a lot of love for a lot of the guys in the organization. 
but as well, a lot of his sort of general marketability is about him as an individual uh, superstar or superstar. So, um, you know, it, it certainly maybe. I mean, the unfollowing on IG, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this in in, in past years, but it's it's the way of the new NBA uh, with, with sort of the social media tendencies and the fact that, you know, Kevin Durant himself, you know, apparently, I don't buy this 100%, Sean Marks didn't even know uh, until the Instagram post from uh, Kevin Durant's business venture. Um, it, it's just a weird and wacky sort of modern time that we live in. Yeah, I think Sean Marks is just covering his ass with tampering. But uh, yep, yep. I, I've kind of mentioned this before. I never felt like the relationship between Spencer and D'Angelo was great. Like, I think they were guys that got along, but I don't think they were best buddies. There was nothing that ever screamed like, hey, we're we're a great combination. Like, you didn't see them pounding and hugging on the court or anything. Like you mentioned, Spencer had better relationships with other guys on the team. D'Angelo had better relationships with other guys on the team. You never felt like those two were, like, joined at the hip. No, and, you know, you don't have to be. Yeah. Um, and it showed that, you know, I think that towards the end of last season is when we really saw that on-court chemistry between those two. Um, you know, it was iterations of like Spencer is better on the court by himself. Dilo is better on the court by himself. Spencer's closing. But by the end of the season, you know, that's when we saw, you know, the, the fullest iteration of two of our most talented players together. Um, so even if you're not the closest of friends, you can still make it work on the court. Um, and I think that, that speaks volume just around the NBA in general as well. So um, we should get to uh, plenty of comments, obviously, in the chatter, but they're just some, some general banter, which I am enjoying uh, watching right now. Uh, what do you want to get to next, Nick? Well, should we finish off? You no, know, we'll touch on Sean Livingston being bought out uh, of the Golden State Warriors. Are the Nets any chance to add him as their 15th roster spot? I would probably say it's unlikely since they re-signed Theo Pinson. I think they envisioned Theo Pinson maybe being that third-string point guard or Karis Avert and him being the third-string point guard. It's a possibility, but he isn't necessarily a great fit in terms of the ability not to shoot. And, like, Sean Livingston is literally one of my favorite players in the NBA. I loved his season with the Nets. But his skill set has definitely declined over the last two seasons. I'm not sure how much he would bring to the team other than a locker room presence. Yeah, um, it, it's it's funny how this thing comes sort of full, you know, 180 in, in that sort of sense. And to an extent, 360, because, you know, he was a, a former Brooklyn Net and, you know, the breakout season that he had uh, with the team is what, you know, got him that uh, yeah. contract sort of offer from from the Golden State Warriors. And it's it's what's made him a champ. And, you know, he's, he's such a revered teammate. Um, and in terms of a part of the, you know, the, the culture uh, mm-hmm. of Golden State. And a lot of Golden State Warriors fans are, are more upset about the fact of losing Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston uh, than losing Kevin Durant. And I mean, I get it as a sort of fan and, and being tired and, and invested to the personality and, and the grace of, of these sort of players. Um, but, you know, Sean Livingston, it's going to be interesting to see where he does end up because there was a lot of talk about, you know, his contract being used in sort of a, a, a sort of trade deal yeah. because of the fact that, you know, it was non-guaranteed. Um, so, uh, I mean, wherever he ends up, whatever he does, you know, he's going to have some great success because, you know, he's endured some real hardships on the court and to get back to where he is, to become a champ, to become, you know, a, a true, one of the better backups in the league and, and a real valuable piece uh, in the Golden State Warriors when they're at their best is just a testament to him. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he signed with the Lakers because a big reason he had such a great breakout season with the Nets was because of Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd obviously is with LA now. So that wouldn't surprise me either. Very, very interesting, my friend. Did you want to finish off on a sort of sentimental note and we'll, we'll reflect on the sort of now that the roster seems sort of set, um, we'll reflect on the sort of former Nets of 2018-19? Uh, of uh, how about we touch on Kenny's comments? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I've got yeah. literally have the thread open and I don't even not even talk about it. All right. So my thread, for those who don't know it, uh, at the JMNJBT had a few comments. You know, we spoke about the Nicholas Claxton sort of comments. Um, but the I literally, as I was listening, I was just like taking notes down in my on my computer. I'm like, all right, copy, paste, and let's put this in, in the thread. Um, the first one, the fact that he was joking about uh, giving an assistant coach's salary to Kevin Durant. What did you what did you think about that one? I, I love the fact that, you know, during the interview, he talked about it. Like, he really hyped up KD. Like, oh, KD, yeah. he loved that. If he listens to that, Kyrie and KD love that interview because all he did is just hype these guys up and talk about how great they are. He did mention he would challenge them, but he talked about Kevin Durant's basketball mind. And I think he's really intrigued to be around a guy like that to kind of get his input and in how we could help the other guys in the team. Yeah, I think that the Kevin Durant's going to add 
so much value to this team. Um, I'm super excited. You know, maybe not even more excited than Coach Kenny Atkinson, which is which is really positive because it shows that you know a lot of old school sort of coaches would be just like, oh, this this is my way. You know, I'm not going to take in the sort of that call of collaborative sort of nature. Um, but we will get to that sort of thing in, in terms of you know relationship with, with uh, Kyrie and that sort of stuff. Um, one thing that I think went a little bit under the radar. Um, he wants to to figure out what this year's team is like but doesn't expect the team's play to change a hell of a lot. Um, were you surprised, not surprised about that comment, Nick? Uh, not really, because I think he has envisioned what he thinks really good basketball is. He did say in a previous interview with Summer League that like sometimes he's just going to give Kyrie the ball and let him do his thing or KD. But I think like essentially you're swapping Kyrie in for D'Angelo Russell role, D'Angelo's role last year, and D'Lo had a high usage rate. I think Kyrie would be happy with that. And he probably needs less pick and roll and can do things more in his own. So I think the offense might even be truer to what he envisioned in the first place. Yeah, I think you make a really fair call. I think that, you know, uh, I think there needs to be obviously some room for change. And I think that Coach Kenny has shown that, you know, um, in terms of the fact that he's allowed, you know, sort of the individual guys uh, display their talents and their strengths. Uh, we see, we saw DeAndre Russell last season. We saw, you know, Spencer Dewey taking these sort of sidestep threes. We saw Karis driving like a madman. Um, so I think a lot of guys are, are still confident to, to display that sort of in within Coach Kenny's system. And I think a Kyrie's skill set just works so perfectly within the offensive scheme that the Nets sort of run. And it's going to benefit him greatly being, you know, the second best three-point shooter as a point guard in the league. And, you know, the pick and roll, he's a, he's really nice at sort of utilizing the screens and, and creating space. His handle is the best in the league, which I think, you know, works so well within a pick and roll offensive system. Um, defensively, you know, obviously there needs to be room for change and, and, and as well, you know, catering to, to your guys. Uh, but I think like you sort of said, Nick, you know, as long as there's some wiggle room throughout the season, according to the different matchups, um, I think we've got a pretty sound system in terms of winning basketball. Yeah, and this is not related to this interview, but Torian Prince was talking. I can't remember what it was, but he said one of the reasons he was so excited about coming to Brooklyn was the brand of basketball they play and how it allows players to pay, play to their best skill set. Yeah, and I think that that's a, a really true indication of how excited he is as well. Um, this is a really sort of small one, and it relates to KD again. Hopes to play KD a bit at the five and the one when he's back and healthy. I love it. I love crazy lineups. You know this, like, oh, God, like Kevin Durant, the five, that is so exciting. Like, there's just so many cool lineups the Nets can have when they have Kevin Durant. It's just like, oh, I, I just want to go get 2K right now and play and just mess with it. Like, oh, KD can just do so much on the court. It's so incredible. Yeah, and I think defensively, you know, we saw some real growth from him in Golden State. And hopefully he comes back and he, he's even fitter because, you know, we can play some some really funky lineups with, you know, I think that if you have Kevin Durant at the five, the, the lineup of, uh, of Kyrie Irving, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis Avert, Torian Prince, and, and Kevin Durant, I think that would make you salivate, Nick. Yeah, like, and you can go, like, super length and still, like, have a lot of skills out there. You could go KD, you could go Rodion, you go Torian Prince, Karis Avert, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Now you have nobody under 6'6 six, six on the floor. Like, yeah. or, or if you want to play one of your other forwards or somebody at, like, the you know, let's throw Wilson Chandler out there and Karis Avert's the point guard, like, you can play all different types of lineup. The versatility from, you know, obviously KD's not going to be playing early in the season. There's a possibility for later in the year. But this is completely different from last year where there wasn't really an ability to play big lineups or crazy versatile lineups last year other than guard-heavy ones. And I think that, you know, you look at the, the two top teams in the NBA, two top teams in the East, sorry, right now, the size and versatility that they have in the Bucks and, and the Sixers is something that the Nets can cancel well against. Yeah. And it sort of speaks to what we couldn't do. And Coach Kenny made comment on that in the podcast as well. Uh, on the, the season as a whole, last season, the playoffs, we could have gotten another game. That really frustrated me. I wasn't expecting it to come that quick. It was a Cinderella type of season. I think he's right. I think we agree they could have probably gotten game four. And I'm sure he was upset in how the, you know, the series ended in game five. So I think there was a possibility to get one more. And he kind of talked about a little bit of the physicality of Philadelphia. Then he took a small shot at Joel Embiid saying that like they weren't too happy with him or some of his antics on the court when uh, Francesca said of, about Embiid being immature. Yeah, certainly. Um, but we'll get on to some more stuff that Coach Kenny mentioned uh, in terms of talking about Kyrie uh, and his personality. 
Uh, we never prejudge guys. He fits perfectly in our system. I mean, hey, if they prejudged, D'Angelo wouldn't have had a great stint with the Nets. True. You know what I mean? All was negative about him. Even some of the stuff about Damari Carroll when he left Toronto wasn't necessarily amazing. Worked out fine. So I think the Nets come in. They believe in their culture. They bring believe in the system from the organization top to bottom. And they let these guys be who they are. They just hold them to a certain standard. And I think that works out fine. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And in terms of coaching stars, you also mentioned it's the next step in his development as a coach. I think that we spoke about um, a lot of that in general when in terms of Coach Kenny growing as a coach. You know, we can sort of see him building a culture, building a system. Now, how does he utilize it now that you have superstar talent on your team? I love the fact that he's self-aware. Like that's something that's extremely important. And you kind of mentioned earlier with other coaches that would be like, hey, I'm doing things my way and that's how it is. No, Kenny's a player advocate and he also is willing to adapt and he understands, hey, I need to get better at things too. This isn't just about me being some perfect coach. So I love the fact that he's willing to address like, hey, I'm not perfect and I need to change my game a little bit when I'm bringing in superstars like Kyrie and KD. Yeah, and I think that, that sort of self-awareness is what's got him to where he is now. Um, you know, he knows he's not a perfect player. I think uh, it's an incredibly positive attribute to have, and I think it's it's a necessary attribute to have in any sort of tutoring role and and job, coach, player, uh, coach, teacher, mentor, whatever it might be. Now you need to be able to go, look, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, and how can the environment that I'm in, how can the the people around me, you know, he's already talking about Kevin Durant influencing him as a coach and, and Kyrie Irving and his assistants. We know how good the assistants have been uh, for, for the Brooklyn Nets organization. So really positive from him. Uh, we'll get to a couple more though, though Nick. Uh, obviously the big one on Kevin Durant's injury status, the sort of key takeaway for me when he was talking about it is that they're still in the evaluation process. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they're trying to figure it out. They finally have him in their facility so they can run their test. And we know they do things a little bit outside the box compared to other organizations. So they're going to get the right plan and put KD in the right situation to get him ready to go and close to 100% as possible. Yeah, I think that, you know, the from the, the takeaway from that um, Sports Illustrated article, one of the, the ones that was making the waves, and I, I'm pretty sure you posted it on your Twitter page, at OTG Nick, was when Sean Marks went to his medical staff and, you know, they did their research, they did their background, which is, you know, you just love to see the, the, the thoroughness that this Brooklyn Nets organization puts into their jobs and the passion that they have. And he was just like, okay, uh, who's in? You know, who, want, who wants to do this? Who's, you know, all in on, on, on acquiring Kevin Durant despite the Achilles? And literally everyone put their hands up. It's another thing that you sort of talked, we sort of talked about in relation to Coach Kenny and his collaboration, his self-awareness. Sean Marks is leaning on the people around him. You know, there's a lot of people in the, in the NBA right now that think it's, you know, they have all the knowledge. They don't need anyone else around them. You know, it, it, that, they've, they've got all the answers. Um, and there's a lot of organizations that are being run that way. So to, to sort of see that, um, obviously, it's a step-by-step. And to know that the, the work is being put in, we've said it a million times and we'll say it again, he's in the best hands, Kevin Durant. Yeah, and I think, like, you have to realize, like, if you're a boss or whatever you're managing, you can't be an expert on everything. It's just not possible. So you have to hire people to do their jobs and let them do their jobs, and you have to build trust with them. And I definitely think the medical team has earned the trust of Sean Marks and the entire organization and the fan base, too. Wholeheartedly. Uh, The last sort of one, and, you know, it's no sort of surprise, um, he mentioned the fact that when he was talking to Kyrie and Katie that, you know, winning this season was a big part of their recruitment. Yeah. Hey, we we know it was too because they battled. Like, they overachieved. But Karis LeVert, who was playing like their best player, went down in November, and they were able to react to that, go on a winning streak and get themselves in a playoff position. And they became a team that no one really wanted to face on a nightly basis because of the way they played basketball and the team unity and just everything was positive. And I think he hinted at Joe Harris saying, like, hey, coach, this is a small knit league. Like, guys are hearing what's going on in Brooklyn. And it caught wind, and hey, two of the biggest stars ended up here. That's it, baby. Um, Crimson Strike, I, I promised I'd address his comment. Um, sort of harking back to the Kyrie Irving talk, and we've mentioned this in passing. I don't know if it was on the outlet or, or on the buzz, but uh, he asks, so MVP season pushed by Kyrie given his bonuses? Yeah, I mean, it could possibly do it. We talked about it. You know, probably best case would be top five unless the Nets just tear it up and, like, a lot of guys have big seasons. They end up with, like, 55 wins or one of the top two seeds and you know 
uh, Kyrie's going to get a lot of credit because he's a new face coming in and a lot of other names on the roster aren't as notable with KD being out. So if they had a really good season, you could see a lot of credit going to Kyrie and boosting his chances at an MVP shot. Yeah, I think if the Celtics kind of had, you know, that little bit more success. Um, and, if and the Celtics were what they were supposed to be, he probably would have been like top three. Yes. And I think that he has a chance to do that again. Um, you know, just going through the names that you sort of think are, are likely to be MVP, I think Giannis is the one that stands out the most because he is on a team by himself. Obviously, you, you, the depth and, and Chris Middleton and Bledsoe, but he's going to have to have another MVP season to for the Bucks to get back to the finals. Whereas this sort of the duo nature of the league, the sort of partnerships that have been created, I think takes the, away the sort of MVP narrative to an extent from this guy, from, from these sort of guys. You know, uh, you can probably, you've got two MVP candidates on the Lakers with, with AD and LeBron. You know, who out of those two do you think wins it more? I mean, that's probably more of a chat for the outlet. And the same thing in, in Houston now. You know, James Harden was an MVP candidate, but I think his candidacy and his narrative for that takes a step back, adding in a Russell Westbrook because he's not going to be probably the dominant force that he was. And there's obviously a heap of other guys, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, you know, Joel Embiid, if he, he remains healthy. I think Kyrie's actually a real chance, very sneakily. And, you know, um, I've got an idea that I'll chat to you about after the pod for OGD Basketball uh, related to MVPs. But um, uh, another question before we reflect on the former Nets, Nick. Adrian on Nets finishing third in the East behind Bucks and Sixers, question mark. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibilities. Obviously, a lot of that would be the young guys taking a jump, but I think they're in a pretty similar area of Boston and Indiana. You know, the Pacers are waiting on Oladipo to come back, um, and Boston obviously lost Kyrie. They replaced him with Kemba. But I think losing Al Horford is going to impact them way more than people are anticipating. Yeah, we've got a great piece by Matt Esposito on OGDBasketball.com that sort of delves into that. Um, I think the Nets are in that sort of second bracket for that third spot. And I think you you might be going under the radar a little bit. And we've got some Pacers fans, obviously, insert cool name who's been on the, the live show a, a little bit. You know, the, the Pacers, I think, are, are a decent chance of that third spot again, despite obviously that relies on Victor Oladipo's health. Um, but, you know, for me, it's Boston, you know, it, it, and I think Toronto have a, have a shot too. Um, you know, we saw how... But <laughs> look, I'm basing this purely off the fact that last season when they played without Kawhi Leonard, they're an incredibly successful basketball team. If if Pascal Siakam can take another step forward, who knows? Um, and you know, uh, I, I'm I'm not counting them out. Danny Green was though pretty good for them last year. Like he wasn't a bad player. I'm not saying he's like a make or break thing, but he's another wing that you lose. I think he shot over 40 percent last year. Solid vet. And I think Kawhi being out. Like, yeah, other guys stepped up, but those games where Kawhi played, their load got a lot easier. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously there's only the, – the top two are almost set in stone. Obviously plenty of things can happen in this league, so who knows what can happen um, with any of the teams we've talked about. But the Nets are in a battle. Um, we've got to make the playoffs first. Obviously, you know, we've got a car like Kyrie Irving, and we made the sixth seed last season. You expect us to take a jump. I was, again, skeptical in sort of previewing pods if we would add Kyrie, how much better we get. Um, but we've added a lot of other pieces too. So um, a lot has to go well, as Crimson Striker has said. But do we want to reflect on uh, some of the former Nets, my dude? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's start with uh, Damari Cow. What did he bring to the organization? What are some fond memories you have of uh, Mr. DMC Swag Daddy? Damari was arguably one of the biggest pieces in terms of culture change because he was a vet that came in and knew what Kenny wanted and knew how to play the right way and help set the tone. He also provided leadership for a lot of the young guys from D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, to even Spencer Dinwiddie and Jared Allen. So Damari was huge. The Nets probably would not be in this position without making that trade. Obviously, they got the first and second round pick, which turned into Musa and Rodion's. But his culture impact was huge. Obviously, last season, his shot against Cleveland was big. And then, you know, he had some big games against Memphis, which I think we talked about in the season review. Yeah, I think the thing that sticks out for me from Damari Carroll, obviously, is just the locker room presence is the, the relationship that he built with D'Angelo Russell. We would not see D'Angelo Russell, the all-star, D'Angelo Russell, um, the, the, the borderline sort of superstar, one of the, the upcoming guards of the league um, without Damari Carroll. Uh, Even D'Angelo the leader. Yep. Uh, D'Angelo, the leader with the sort of, you know, mentorship that he got from Damari Carroll. You know, he challenged him. You know, he nurtured him. So uh, I think that's what really sticks out for me from Damari Carroll. And obviously just being 
probably the steadiest guy on the Nets roster for, for so long, you know, when you need a bucket, when you need a defensive play, you know, Damari was there. So, uh, but we've gone to another vet uh, and our boy that we mentioned earlier in the pod, uh, Jared Dudley. Um, is it Ben Simmons, Nick? Is that the moment that we all remember? The, the, the Night King himself? Yeah, I think that's what you remember. You remember that situation. I think, uh, I don't even remember the Ben Simmons. I remember him defending Jared Allen. You know, when Joel Embiid hit him with the second, you know, hard foul and he came through and shoved him. Like, I appreciate that. And he stuck up for the Nets. He was fired up. And obviously, he's another guy that helped culture. They don't have him last year. There's a chance that they don't have that players meeting and they don't turn around the season. So Dudley's locker room presence was huge. I think it'll be huge for the Lakers this year, too. Yeah, I, 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 Jared Dudley is going to be successful in no matter what he does, you know, media, assistant coaching or whatever. He just adds a presence. You know, he he, he knows uh, we sort of talked about self-awareness when it came to Kenny Atkinson. I think Jared Dudley possesses that in spades. And, you know, I just love what he provided. Now, he, he gave us just that that little bit of a spark, that little bit of an edge that we sort of needed um, from that veteran sort of presence from Jared Dudley. You know, the, the Ben Simmons sort of feud was... Um, was all over the NBA Twitter. It gave us the sort of credence and and a bit of exposure that was really fun to sort of talk about. And, you know, he did outplay in one game, but uh, you know, obviously Ben Simmons is a much better player. But uh, it was a fun time. And, you know, that one season is, was incredibly memorable with uh, Jared Dudley. But a guy who was uh, a little bit of a longer-tenured uh, Brooklyn Nets as uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Yeah, well, obviously, we you know, we love Rondé. Things didn't really work out for him last year. His skill set didn't necessarily fit the net system. The year prior, he really took a huge step. I think Rondé's still kind of unsure what his role in the, is in this league, but he's a great teammate, great locker room guy. It seemed like everybody was sad that he was gone. We wish him the best, and hopefully he can find a niche in the NBA, which I think he can. Yeah, and then at the Toronto Raptors, I think he'll be given a, a role as a sort of defensive sort of specialist. You know, I think he has a skill set that is valuable enough to have a semi-long tenured career in the NBA. Uh, he can run the floor. He can play defense. Uh, and, you know, he was, in terms of that sort of game against Sacramento with that winning play, yeah. that really sticks out to me. And, you know, some key defensive plays throughout the season against Portland, um, just reminiscing. And over his entire sort of tenure, you know, he grew w- with the Brooklyn Nets. You know, he might not be the sort of finished product that we want, and hopefully he turns into that because, you know, he was such a great teammate, such a great presence. Uh, and, you know, he sort of grew with sort of, you know, he was the first sort of net there before, Sean Marks and Coach Kenny were. So it, it, the fact that he's been able to remain uh, and be an important part of the system in, in a lot of sort of ways, you know, that mid-range sort of shot that he developed, um, you know, we got nothing but good things to say about the hyphen. Yeah, exactly. And there's a chance he could be a late bloomer. I think there's still some skills there. It's just like, he just needs to slow down. Like, that's one of the biggest issues for Ronde. He just needs to chill. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think in Toronto, he'll get some time to chill out a little bit and um, hopefully have some, some real success there. But... Uh, Alan Krabnick, you know, Alan Krabnick didn't have some nice things to say on his way out of uh, the Brooklyn Nets organization. Yeah, it is what it is. Uh, Alan Krabnick should be extremely thankful for this man named Sean Marks who got him the money bags because without him, he's probably seeing half as much maybe salary as that. Someone was probably going to offer him a big deal, but nothing that crazy. And Alan Krabnick, like, I get you're upset. At the end of the day, you were never on the court. You know, you couldn't produce because you weren't on the court. And when you were on the court, you were super inconsistent. And the Nets gave him every opportunity to turn into a borderline all-star player, and he just couldn't do it. Yeah, and I mean, I think health is the number one thing. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think his frustrations lie probably more with the front office um, than anything else because we saw, you know, the the opening of the school and stuff. You know, his teammates supported him. Yeah. I, I think Alan Crabb could have added a lot to this Brooklyn Nets organization at his fullest health. You know, it's one of the probably one of the few blips. There's a couple of them on Sean Marks' sort of front office tenure to sort of give that sort of uh, offer sheet out and, and make that sort of trade for him uh, in the first place. But, you know, um, AC, I think, is going to have, you know, is in a decent situation in Atlanta. I think that, you know, alongside Trey Young and in this sort of system, uh, funnily enough, is is Jeremy Lin still in the Atlanta Hawks? No, he um he was he and I think he got waived or he was traded and he ended up with Toronto and he's still a free agent right now. There we go. Um, but for, it's funny how like the sort of Toronto and Atlanta sort of teams and, yeah. and the Nets have been so intertwined uh, of late. Maybe the the relationships uh, within organizations uh, sort of remain, which is a good thing. But uh, we'll get to some. Uh, I guess we'll sort of combine these sort of two before we get to your boy Ed Davis, Nick, uh, Trevion Graham, and Shabazz Napier. Uh, you know, 
Trevion, we kind of had relatively high hopes that he can kind of produce at a higher level because he had some really good moments a year prior in Charlotte and talking to Charlotte guys, Dylan Jackson. You know, there was some hope that maybe he could turn into a Trevor Ariza type. Another guy dealt with injuries. Three-point shot was just too bad for him to really see time on the court. Defensively, he was everything as advertised. And then Shabazz, you know, Shabazz was kind of what you expected. He could score. He could put up points. He wasn't necessarily a point guard. He was more of a scoring guard. But he had his moments, and the Nets weren't going to be in the position they were last season without him playing when Spence was out or Karras was out. They needed that extra scoring punch from him. So Shabazz really had an impact last year. Yeah, Baz really did. You know, he had some big games. You know, I think Milwaukee was one of them. A couple clutch um, buckets too. Yeah, he knows how to get a bucket. You know, he can be a bit of a, a ball hog of sorts, like he's sort of scared scoring guard more than sort of pure point guard. But, you know, the kid can score. He can hit that three-point shot. And I think that as in a backup role, I think that, you know, in, obviously in Minnesota, I think he's going to find some some success now with, with Tyus Jones on his way out, sort of playing behind Jeff Teague, at least for now. I think Shabazz Napier should have a, a long career in the NBA as a backup guard because you know, a, a guy that can create his own shot is incredibly valuable in today's day and age. You know, If he's working on stuff in the offseason as well, maybe he proves his game as a passer. Uh, but yeah, Trevion Graham, I think, was one of our best defensive players. And you know, we saw in the preseason some real sort of promise from him as a guy playing the, in the sort of four and the trust that sort of Coach Kenny had in him uh, at such an early stage. Obviously, it wavered through injuries and through form, uh, and eventually the sort of uh, the tenure, the the sort of um, it, it sort of broke. Yeah, you know, the fact that you know he just wasn't able to perform to the capabilities. He, essentially, he just wasn't able to hit shots. Um, and I think that we we saw, I think, one of the few games where he was able to hit a few, few of those three pointers. Um, and uh, it, I think that he has some value. Um, obviously, being a guy that. You look at sort of guys like Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, and and Stanley Johnson. I think Trevion Graham's in this similar sort of mold, but as a cheaper option. And I think, probably have more faith in him improving as a three point shooter than those two, because I think he has at least somewhat of the mechanics to do it. Um, so you know, I think teams should be certainly taking a flyer on him. But uh, we'll finish off with uh, big boy Ed Ed Davis now a. Uh, Utah Jazz man backing up Rudy Gobert. Um, he is going to – that front court, and they're going to get a lot of rebounds. Yeah, they really are. It's not going to really change from Gobert going to the bench or bringing in the guy who had highest rebound percentage in multiple categories last year. So, I mean, Ed was a guy when we first signed him, we talked about it, we felt like this is a guy we were going to love. He turned out to be that guy. Hustle, energy, toughness, everything that the Nets probably didn't have the year prior. Excellent rebounder, great with the putback slams. You know, and also another great guy in the locker room, a nice venture, a mentor for a lot of the young guys. So, you know, it sucks to see Ed go, but obviously, you know, the Nets couldn't afford to keep him. No, um, and funnily enough, he gets essentially like the, a very similar contract yeah. to offered him, and it, it's it, it it staggers me that another team wasn't able to offer him that little bit more. Like you look at what Javale McGee got, and it's essentially the same as what Ed Davis got. Um, I think JaVale McGee, you know, is a good-ish player, but I think Ed Davis is legitimately good in the skill set that he provides. Um, he's going to fit in perfectly in Utah. And, you know, he provided us with, especially that sort of playoff run when he was healthy. He was super-duper crucial in, in that win against Philadelphia. You know, his physicality, you know, his, his ability to, to screen. You know, a lot of players, you know, Joe Harris spoke so highly of him because, you know, he just knew he was going to get a good shot when, you know, the off screen was, was coming from Ed Davis, one of the, the best screeners in the NBA. But um, he was awesome. He was so damn good. But uh, we got one last question, Nick, that I promised I would get to uh, from Saw Click. And we're getting back to, to Mr. Irving. And I think this is a question we've touched on, but we maybe haven't addressed it to the fullest detail. Do you think Kyrie will be a problem in the locker room? I, I'm obviously I'm extremely optimistic in general. Like that's just how I am in life and basketball with the Nets. I really don't think he's going to be like a problem in the locker room. I think there maybe could be an issue here and there, but we talked about it. He wanted to come here. He has a relationship with Spencer. He's developing a relationship with Karis LeVert. You know, him and KD are great friends. You know, I think there's some ties between him and DeAndre Jordan too. So I'm not that concerned. I think Kyrie heard all the speculation about him being this cancer of the locker room and all the negative thoughts. And I also think his camp heard all those thoughts and they're going to let Kyrie know that, hey, you need to be a better locker room guy. You need to be a better leadership guy because you don't want that type of thing in your legacy. Like, hey, this guy was an extremely good player, but he was a terrible teammate. He wants to change that image. And I think he'll try to do that in Brooklyn. 
Yeah, and I think there was a comment that I forgot to sort of mention and spoke to that I think we touched on the last buzz. You know, the conflict could come between more likely with the coach and, and the point guard. And Kenny said on the on the podcast, um, he can't wait to build that trust. I'll challenge them too, especially on the defensive end. I'm not afraid of the conflict. In fact, I enjoy it at times. He's worried. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> but I think every like really great coach is a little bit crazy in a way. Like they do have a little bit of like a weirdness to them. So I think it's good. And hey, he's not scared to like challenge Kyrie, which is good. And I think Kyrie could end up respecting that because I'm not saying Brad Stevens is a bad coach. I think he's a really good coach, but I could see him not, you know, willing to conflict with guys or being aggressive and kind of being like, hey, Kyrie, I need you to play defense, like kind of get after him. He just doesn't have that aggressive type of personality where you listen to Kenny talk for like five minutes or watch him coach one quarter of a game. You can see that energy and aggressiveness from him. Yeah, you see Brad Stevens as a – this isn't a negative sort of connotation. It's just how I interpret him as a bit more of a pacifist. Yeah. Whereas we see Coach Kenny sort of, like you said, relishing the conflict and challenging defensively. Funnily enough, I did a little bit of a breakdown on Kyrie's defense on NetsRepublic.com. Check it out. Plenty of videos there. I did not check that out, but how did it look? I, I'll check it out after. I, 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 I'll be dropping I, threads like every single day. <laughs> I got a job here, Jack. I do a lot of work, my dude. I do a lot of work. And, you know, for that, I think that Kyrie really improved as a defender, obviously under Brad Stevens, and the, and the system really benefited him. Um, obviously, it's going to be different in Brooklyn. And I think defensively, we do have some misgivings and, and some holes. But I think Kyrie, as a guy who you know, can create some strips, you know, can force some steals, you know. I think that he'll be a better defender than D'Angelo Russell. And at and, and that, and that sort of point, that makes us a better defensive team. Um, and, and I think a lot of the times, you know, D'Angelo Russell was sort of benched for those sort of defensive efforts. And, you know, Kyrie, obviously, he thinks this is his team now. But, you know, the sort of coach-player dynamic is going to be fascinating throughout the season. And I've got just a slight suspicion that we'll be chatting about it uh, more than once throughout the season. Yeah, I'm sure everyone will make a huge deal if you see an incident where Kenny and Kyrie are chatting on the sidelines and it's not necessarily in like the most happiest tone. People will be like, oh, look at that. They're already fighting and all this stuff. So there is that extra pressure now having these big stars that's going to come along where last year people really didn't care about it or get a quick second on a segment of a sports show. Now you might be the leadoff. Yeah, the Nets are going to be on Colin Cowherd. Funnily enough, that they were, and I'm going to be chatting about that on, on JBT as well. Um, but, you know, guys, it, uh, there's people that are just joining us right now. Got to hit that subscribe button. Get the notifications and then when we're going live. Yeah, you got to get in here early. You know, we've already been, uh, what, an hour on the show right now? And uh, we, sometimes we just randomly drop the shows. Last, you know, last night for the outlet, we had the random pop-up, the emergency Russell Westbrook. Who knows? Some big stuff could happen for the net. So make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Follow us iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, Dash Radio. And obviously, like I said, make sure you subscribe on YouTube. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability just one part that makes o'reilly stand apart the professional parts people oh 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 o'reilly